Monday. Monday, Monday. Watch John and Scott eat tendies while sipping tea on the podcast known as... Trapped under... Plastic? <laughs> is that a question? <laughs> There's a sign in case you forgot. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. This is this is the correct podcast. <laughs> Trapped under plastic, the podcast where Scott caves to social pressure and covers his legs. This is true. You guys can't handle my white pasty hot dogs. Yeah, we're <laughs> hot dogs. <laughs> you ever seen those memes where people are like, they take a picture of their thigh like this, and they're like, hot dogs or legs? And uh, it's like actually kind of hard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those hot dogs do make me hard. <laughs> Oh, (laughs) all right. Speaking speaking of legs, though, I do have something to share with the goody peepees. It is fucking Mountain Dew socks day in the hood. Safe for work. What is going on? Oh yeah, look at John's taking his shoes off and showing off some lovely Mountain Dew socks for the audio listeners who can't enjoy this fucking spectacle. Uh, As I was getting ready this morning, making my daughter some Eggo waffles, she's like, "Oh, are you wearing Christmas socks?" I'm like, "Even better." She was like, oh, that's kind of lame. <laughs> She's like, you do like Mountain Dew. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. You drink a lot of that. I'm like, listen. When we, you grow up, you'll get it. <laughs> we, we all have our vices. <laughs> mine, is, mine is mystery flavor voodoo. Yeah, yours is just like fancy drinks. You always, come, you always swing by with a new bubbly fancy drink. I was drinking white gummy bear energy drink on the drive up. That's so yeah, that checks out. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I got a, I got a couple things to talk about in the preamble ramble. Yes, today. he does. My God, he has a fucking list. Mm-hmm. All right, so He's checking it twice. You know, this one goes out to all the the soft cookie people in the world. We're winning. No, we're not winning. Um, you're not winning. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. Wait, did, are you a convert? No. Okay, so Oreo. The hard cookie nation flag bearer <laughs> has, I, I don't know if these are brand new or I just came across them and made me throw up my mouth a little bit. They're called <laughs> Oreo Cakesters. Dude. And they are the soft cookie version of Oreos. So riddle me this. Like, who's like, yeah, screw regular Oreos. I want these mushy ass Oreos that are pre chewed and pre saliva filled. Now I don't need milk to sock them up. Oh, no. I can just pop them back endlessly and drink soda instead with my cookies. I mean, and I then, think, you know. I, I mean, I, I'm an open-minded American, okay? <laughs> I'm open to new things. So <laughs> the next time we do a hangout and watch YouTube videos until four in the morning and eat snacks, we'll get each. We'll get the double stuff, okay. regulars, okay. and then we'll get these cakesters. Okay. And then I'll get fiery as fuck at three in the morning <laughs> talking about how tor- horrible these things are. Yeah, this is like an affront to nature. <laughs> yeah, that's terrible. Just simply terrible. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's going to get that reference, but I bet a couple of goody peepees will. I like how we're past the point of you asking me if I got that reference because no. like, I just don't get any of them. I have no, no idea what he's talking about. Uh, okay, my turn. I played Age of Sigmar for the first time in... Many years, maybe, th- well, not many years, but the last time I played was when we went to Vince's house, which was two years ago at least. Yeah, two, yeah, two years ago. Yeah. Um, that was before Age of Sigmar uh, 3.0. Yes. Uh, so a couple things about that. Uh, I'm in an escalation league called War of the Northern Princes because we're fucking edgy and we need a name. Wow. And we're in Minnesota, so Northern is cool. Um, and uh, so we played our first game, uh, 500 points, 
And shockingly, it was a very dynamic game. There was mm. lots of movement, lots of strategy regarding like, capping objectives. Like there were multiple times when it, I, I kind of appreciated this about the game. There are multiple times where it made more sense to retreat than it did to stay in combat. I like that. Because like certain things, like for instance, like my dire wolves, I, I charged in with my dire wolves, used all attack plus slavering charge. I was like, okay, I'm going to kill one of these nurgling bases. Because like when you don't kill a nurgling base, it just heals up. So it's like, there's no point staying in combat. I wanted to pop one off and I didn't do that. And I was like starting to like kind of get uh, disease on me and dying because of it. So I retreated away and I retreated to an objective, which felt really good. Um, so there's a lot of moments like that, which felt really great. Um, and I was, I was really surprised. Um, but the second thing I want to say is it was AOS 3.0, but I didn't, it didn't really feel any different than 2.0. And I think it's because I just didn't really do my homework and like look into all of the crazy things you can spend command points on as reactions. Cause that's the biggest difference, right? Or is there more? Well, you sounds from the sounds of it, you already did some of the stuff, which is the generic command point uses oh, like heroic actions is that one of those things yeah, heroic actions or like the all-out attack all-out defense yeah so those i did are, those things those are yes. in 3.0 uh, that felt good too because it always feels bad to have like a combat that you're kind of like hoping is going to go well and then yeah kind of doesn't i like, actually really appreciate that about song of ice and fire when you charge you get re-rolls to kind of like mm. kind of balance that so with all attack my blasts are hitting out fucking twos. Yeah, dude, that hurts. Dude, it was 16 attacks hitting out twos, and the horses hit on threes and have 15 attacks. I'm just, everyone's dying, dude. It's just great. Just trampling some bitches. Dude, Blood Knights are brutal, and then the whole Riders of Ruin thing is insane, too. Yeah, that was one thing that I was thinking about when you were, you were telling me about the game was like, um, when you're playing at a lower point level, um, some of the army, army-wide abilities you get, um, they're imbalanced. And this is a great example of like all the buffs that Blood Knights get. When it's spread across an entire army, um, it's it's less of an impact. It's still good, but when it's a unit that's fast, it's hard to kill, and it's killy. In a small point game, they can kind of just run rampant. They and run rampant. They did. I feel so bad for John. They're like I feel like my army is a counter to Nurgle because whenever he was putting disease on me, I you whenever you heal, uh, you can. Uh, alternatively take off one disease point and of course vampires heal with the hunger constantly yeah that's a good that's a good thing yeah and he had this thing that didn't allow me to pile in uh it was he had his sloppity bile piper playing some tune uh and his, it didn't it let me pile in flute? yeah his two flute uh and i couldn't pile in but it didn't matter with riders of ruin because i could just move out of combat charge again deal damage while moving and then charge again and i was just like holy cow so that felt yeah. Super Blood Knights are are really good against them, but that that army is hard to kill. Yes, it's hard to bring down. And he's it's, summoning demons so much too. Um, yeah, so which is tough. did he account for that in his points in his seven hundred and fifty? No, whatever? he was just summoning whole new units. No. Oh, did they already have to be killed units? No. And then he wasn't doing it right. Uh -oh. you, you don't just get free stuff. I thought Vince when we played him a long time uh, ago maybe, was summoning maybe, whole new things. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe certain armies. Oh, because it's based off of his points Just that he accumulates. Contagion points. Contagion points. Yeah, yeah, and you're right. You, I don't think you have to pay for those. Okay. Um, do, so do we have a... We don't have a way to summon things. Just new, right? So no, you, you can just bring them back. Okay. So what happens is once a unit is killed all the way, it only costs you one command point. And you can bring them back on any gravesite. Oh, my God. But they have to enter in a holy outside of nine inches of an enemy unit. So if your sm enemy is smart and they have enough units, they can kind of 
cover your grave site so you can't bring shit back. Uh, but it's hard though. You'll, you'll, you'll often stick like a unit of skeletons or wolves or something on your back lines anyway, kind of around to one to, to claim an objective and two be near a grave site. So you're kind of you're kind of playing defense so you can bring back that unit and if they try to crash into your skeletons to take your thing you're like oh well, i popped up a, th a unit of 10 grave guards so whatever you just brought all the way over here to kill those is just going to get murdered by these grave guard mm. so grave guard are the next your next uh, thing to deal with scott because they are the true blenders of the army i i've been trying to think of ways to like convert them and make like fancy grave guard using like yeah. the sepulchral guard kit and like other like underworlds kits and stuff like that, that new ones coming out baby yeah, those are dude. grave guard yeah the problem is is they're almost all sword and shield ones and you want to use the two-hander ones ah, those the are axes the yeah, you can use a giant sword, you can use a giant glaive, you can use a giant axe, whatever you want, but yeah. those ones are, those are the bee's knees. The tough thing about Graveguard are, though, is they're slow as shit, Yeah, and they die easy. So you need Halgrim, bro. Halgrim lets them move twice, or twice their movement speed, because they're yeah. a death rattle unit, right? Usually you screen them. Yeah. Um, you can also start with, so by Gravelars, you can start with uh, undead stuff in the grave sites and pop yes. them out. Yes. So yeah. usually what people will do is, uh, like, they'll wait till you move shit up and then they'll pop out a unit of grave guard behind your army and like you have to deal with them or they will just murder every hero back there <laughs> um yeah dude or you screen them with a unit of, of skeletons and they they have to crash into skeletons and then your counter strike is just devastating so yeah there's strategy but it's also if you don't do it right the, the grave guard can be a big point sink and then just get killed if you if you don't do it right i can definitely see that happening blood uh, knights are a little bit more easy to handle they're just they're fucking space marines bro yeah they have three ups they hit on threes they wound on threes they're just they have three wounds apiece threes. unless unless you have castellai which i do have castellai knights and whenever they kill something they get various bonuses and so i killed a nurgle beast which gave them i think absorbed vitality so each had four wounds, Ugh. and I killed a unit of ten plague barriers with them, which gave them extra two inches when charging and running. Oh lordy, something speed. So man, they were just <laughs> zipping around and fucking killing everything. Yeah, they get power ups. Yeah, that's, they do. That's pretty fun. I also have something called shifting keep, so I can actually have the knights off in reserves as well. So I don't know if this would have been smart, but I could have deployed just my hero. And have everything else in reserves if I wanted to. The only problem is that first round, that first turn, you don't get a movement though. Oh, uh, yeah. It ends. It happens at the end of the movement phase. Yeah. Okay. But if you can make the charge, you got to make a nine-inch charge, and you didn't have your plus two to charge yet. It, I you didn't. Can, you can basically take them out of a fight the entire round one. Yeah. Which is rough, especially yeah. when you're using so few units in your army in a small point game. That's true. We were playing on a 33 or 32 inch by 44 inch board, or a no, it was 30 by 44, which I believe is what GW recommends. Um, which is small and intimate. I think we were going to do a four by four foot table, but that would have been way too big, and we were able to get like he charged me turn one with his beast of Nurgle, um, and almost. Wow. Uh, oh, I think almost. I can't remember who he charged. I think it was my commander. He almost killed him like right away because he can run and charge, and he auto ran with a command point. He just little, it's like a I, big old slug running. I, know. At I was you. like, I didn't think Nurgle were fast, but this They're guy's turning me. To, you know, so yeah, he got to me. Yeah, a smaller board. Again, there's another thing of the game is balanced around all the things around two thousand points, and one of them is board size. Yeah, so movement range is based around the the board being a certain size, and one of the biggest if not the biggest downside to nurgle is their speed yeah they're slow as shit in general other than the dudes on the bugs um and so you kind of gave him a a little bit of a bonus by yeah. getting, getting closer yep 
So you're probably playing like a Warcry size board then? That's what it seems like. Uh, regarding the double turn, I double turned him twice. He double turned me once. I feel like mine were a little bit more effective. Uh, a little bit, uh, they came at more advantageous moments for me because uh, I charged him with like his. I charged his beast of Nurgle with my Blood Knights. I couldn't kill him in one activation, but that uh, double turn, then I could kill him. So, but then he summoned another one, so I didn't feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel bad. You get more. Uh, anyways, yeah, you escalation. Had fun, though. had fun. I had. I had fun. I will admit, it was a lot of fun. I can't wait to play another one. Uh, if you want, uh, we're doing probably two AOS, one to two AOS games a month on the Twitch stream, uh, twitch.tv.miniac at 7 p.m. CST. And also the VODs are on the Twitch channel, too. So if you want to catch that other one between me and Schaefer, uh, Soul Bike Lords versus Mega Kin of Nurgle, go check it out. Cool. All right. All right that was, that was a long one. Sorry. No, no. That was good, though. I, I was interested in stuff. Okay. I, I got a couple things I want to talk about here. First all of all, right. in the last episode of the podcast, we asked... Um, goody peepees of the world to uh shout out if uh if they entered the golden demon mm. in in the uk yeah and uh we had some people that did and one of them let me just make sure i get his name right um oh shit where did i put this tom hughes yes i think i think tom hughes yeah tom hughes painted that bust <clears throat> that big towel bust and also he dm'd me on Instagram, it was like, you and John are invited to the after party. And I was like, this is so validating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah baby. So, yeah, Tom Hughes, who did the the giant Tau bust that mm-hmm. won first place in the open category. Oh, yeah, dude. Demon. Woo, baby. One of us. One of us. It feels, it feels good. How does it feel to be part of the Goody PP army that's amassed more arms than possibly can be denied by the outsiders. <laughs> Look, our wave will crash upon their shores. Yeah, we're like a beast of chaos. Just kind of... Yeah. Along. Dude, our tendrils are long and filled with suction cups. Oh, yeah, we got tons. <laughs> They're sticky. Yeah, so, I mean, we appreciate every one of the goody peepees, and there may be a day where we call upon you to take up arms. <laughs> we don't know who our enemy is yet. This is turning into Fight Club. <laughs> but they will rue the day. <laughs> So uh, that's it. Uh, also related to uh, Golden Demon, Midwinter Minis put out a video recently um, where he brought on his friend that brought a bunch of different knights and stuff to Golden Demon, and he placed in the large, uh, large model something forty k. Mm-hmm. And a uh, guy was working with him on like how to do a higher level quality for his Warlord Titan. And it was really cool. So you should check out the video if you haven't seen it. Um, but in that video, he shows that his buddy was sipping on a variety of diet dues through mm. the entire process. Connoisseur. And guy uh, said it was like noxious and stinky and whatever. Oh, give me a break, guy. It's a fucking soda. And to this, I say, be careful, <laughs> guy. <laughs> we, we have an army. <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds like your friend may in fact be <laughs> part of the army. Whether he knows it or not. <laughs> he's, been, he's been conscribed. Yeah, he's like in the background. The, 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 he's just like slowly pulling up this new shitty games workshop hobby knife over his <laughs> shoulder. <laughs> Oh, be careful, guy. Oh, I said conscribed. I meant conscripted. 
That's the word when you get drafted for the military, right? Yes. Okay. A, cool. a conscript. A conscript. It's just it's the uh, but I mean that is typically like the the peasants that have to like go to war against knights and they have they have like pitchforks and like little hand at wood chopping axes. Yeah. You know the conscripts are like they're like the the militia. I, yeah, I usually think of them as the speed bumps that all the cavalry run over. <laughs> That's not what we're asking of the Goody Pee Nation. No. No. Like, we're more like Voltron, where we all stand on each other's shoulders like we're in a water fight in a swimming pool. <laughs> and so transform we, into a larger, more capable... Yes. Okay, I got you. Yes, that's that's how we fight. Okay, <laughs> it's more like three goblins in a trench coat, really. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. our. It's both sneaky and intimidating. Okay, okay, okay. good. Um, what more do I have to say on this great preamble of rambles? Um, have you ever had Costco pizza? Uh, okay, I think I told you about it. Okay. Uh, well, maybe not. It was, did you get the um, uh, motorway? No, no, the actual pizza that they sell at Costco oh. at their like concession stand. No, I haven't. I haven't. Oh man! So I had it again the other day. My wife and I went out to Costco to to do some day shopping, middle of the week, which is the only time to go to Costco. Don't go to Costco on the goddamn weekends. Psychopath. Yeah, like you want to stand in line for seventeen hours. All those giant fucking out. carts, dude. Oh my god, it's a yeah. it's a war zone. So we went on like a, a Wednesday over the lunch hour and. Uh, you get a slice of Costco pizza. First of all, it's like $2 for the massive slice of pizza, like the old school Sabaro slice of yeah, pizza from the yeah, mall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it is so good. Oh, my God. Now I need to try it. You need to go. Like, you take Amber for a little lunch date, middle of the week to Costco. <laughs> what a fucking shitty lunch date. Dude, it's not bad. <laughs> also, you can get, for like $1.69, you can get a foot-long hot dog hey, and a soda. Wait, for 69 you can get a hot dog? $1.69. Costco, I see what you're fucking doing, you <laughs> skeezes. Um, I mean, yeah, you want to slap that sucker with mustard, baby. <laughs> oh, mayo, dude? <laughs> A little relish on there. Um, I don't know what the fuck that so is. So I, I kind of came to this conclusion. First of all, you can actually order whole pizzas from there too, which I have done before. You just call them up. And you're like, I want a large cheese. Now, the only things are you can either get cheese, you can get pepperoni, or you can get supreme. Those are the only options. Okay, good. Okay. Keep it simple. But it's a giant pizza like... I don't know. You're like, like you're gesturing four feet wide yeah, right now. It's massive. The pizza is massive. <laughs> and it's ten bucks. It's ten bucks. So it's better than Nominos. It's better than Papa John's. It's better than Pizza Hut. Oh my god. And it's like half the price. Do they do delivery? No. You have to go. GG. You have to go. That's the downside is you What have- if they did delivery though? And you have to like physically call them up and just talk to Cheryl, who's working at the concession stand, and just put in your order. But it's done in 10 minutes. That's amazing. And so the moral of the story is Costco pizza, underrated pizza. I'm ready for your pizza review. Okay. And, 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 uh, you know, see what you have to say. Don't sleep on Costco, y'all. Yeah, don't sleep on the Costco pizza. Same with the Costco rotisserie chickens. Brother, yes. The pot pies. Yeah, the big Popeye too. Yeah, Popeye. They're just so cheap; it's wild. Yeah. So anyway, that that was something I really needed to talk about in preamble. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I don't want to be painted. Oh, I had another thing to talk about. Oh, you did? Yeah. Let's do it. My uh, Argus got neutered on Tuesday. Oh, that's what his nuts are. Okay, yeah, Argus lost his. I nuts. was like, why did Argus have cashews in the first place? Yeah, so he's almost eleven months now, and uh, so we decided it was time uh, for his 
long fucking hanging nuts to go. And he spent the rest of the day like standing up, looking between his legs and then looking at me. Are you serious? Yeah, and then looking at his between his legs and looking at me. Not like he was mad at me, but he was like, "What the fuck, bro? What happened? <laughs> What's going on?" And uh, he's got his little pain pills he takes in the morning, and he's been good as new ever since. Um, he's he's a champion though. I feel like Sarah was only giving him one pain pill with his breakfast, and you're supposed to be giving him two. And like from day one, he was just like, "Man, I'm good." And I'm like, "Man, this dog, he is fine without the nuts." So. Um, I'm hoping it will keep his rambunctiousness down a level or two, but he can be a demon child sometimes, which is tough because we hadn't take, I hadn't taken him into the vet since July. And so I didn't know how much he was going to weigh. He weighed 99 pounds in July. He's up to 140 in October. Damn. That's twice the weight of bullet. (laughs) Yeah. Well, he just like a, he's like a, like a Costco foot long hot dog. He's like, just he's solid like, meat. He's like a, a hundred of those. <laughs> he's like a, he would just eat those, like suck them down. He wouldn't even chew them. Yeah. That dog. Um, we'll have to, we'll, we'll have to, I'll have to bring him up for the podcast, and he will just run around to destroy shit. He doesn't destroy shit on purpose. He just has no sense of where his body ends and another surface begins. Right. So he just runs into shit, and he's like, "Oh shit, I didn't know that was there." I'm like, "Dude, that is a wall." <laughs> He like he will run down my stairs as fast as he can go, but like three feet after the stairs is the wall of the kitchen, and he doesn't stop. He just like he's like like uh, Fast and Furious Tokyo drifts down the stairs into the wall and uses it to like slow him down. He uses the wall <laughs> to just go doosh, into I the wall, that. and he has already cracked two parts of my drywall in my house. Really? Yes. Wow. Okay. Because he's just, he's just body slamming walls. Yes. He body slams walls. He he like n- thinks he can still go under the kitchen table. Yeah, I mean technically he can, but he can't do it without knocking over all the chairs. <laughs> so he goes under the table, knocks over all the chairs, comes out, looks at the chairs, like, oh, what happened there? Yeah, <laughs> were those there before? Like, yeah, like <laughs> oh, oh well, man, you someone's knocking over chairs in here. He's like he's completely oblivious that he will just and he hip checks you like right at the knees so he'll just like walk up behind you and he likes to lean so he'll like walk behind you you don't know he's there and he leans against the back of your knees and you're just like Whoa! <laughs> knocks you over <laughs> little bastard anyway that that's that's all i have to say for uh preamble ramble today <laughs> that, that's all that's all it's that's all you know I, oh i think we're 30 minutes into the episode uh no i'm just kidding uh okay well we painted you paid a lot of little skilly boys here. I did. So the way our schedule worked out for recording this episode was that it was one week after we recorded the last one. Mm-hmm. And so in between now and then, we've had one week to you know, come up with news, uh, paint minis. But despite that, I've painted 10 skeletons. That's, that is no small feat. That For me, it seems so trivial, but for me, it's, it was such a, I did it. And I did it in one day. Damn, dude. Um, so I, I painted, I think I painted one of them in like three hours. I think this front guy. Um, and there are some things, actually, you know what? I lied. They're not totally done because I do want to, you see how this one has like a red edge highlight at the bottom of his robe? Yes. I didn't do that in all of them. Oh, yes. Um, so I want to do that still. And I also want to put a sick freehand on that banner. Yeah, I noticed that banner is missing uh, your 
your symbology. Yes. And so I have that symbol that I definitely want to toss up there. I think I might do that on a, on a live stream this uh, next Tuesday. So I have to do those things. Um, but I don't know, dude. I, I, I think I came in under an hour model because I, I, I went from eight to four. I had a one hour break. So that's seven hours and I painted nine models. So that is, that's under an hour model. That's like, I don't know, 50, 45 minutes. Um, the fade to the matte paint on the true metallics, especially on the armor. Do you like that? Really good. Yeah. So I like that too. Um, is that with a brush or is that an airbrush? That's an airbrush. So I used a lot of airbrush, not a lot. I mean, yeah, maybe a lot, but in the after party, I want to tell you about all the trials I went through to get the red that I was happy with. I went through like six or seven different tests um, that I'll be in a video eventually. Um, to kind of get to a point where it's like, this is a great red that's three or two steps, uh, three steps, mm -hmm. um, that I felt like happy with. Cause like, I think speed painting is all about just what you're happy with. Um, like we've said this before in the past, um, like you need to know where you can cut corners and you need to know like that you're happy with that end result. And so it's very, it's very personal. Uh, but also it's like, you need to kind of, you kind of got to know what the end result is going to be before you make that choice, which mm. is why I felt the need to experiment so much because I, I didn't know what it would look like. And there were so many different ideas on how to paint stuff. So I want to try them all out. And that's something I don't do often enough. And when I look back at like the army painting videos that I've done, it was like, I, other than my very first one with the OCR uh, boner boys, I did do a test model and was happy with it, each step. Um, going into it nice. since that video i didn't do it and i felt like i i hurt myself by not having exactly what i wanted the final product to look like um compared to in my head what it would mm. um and it wasn't that it would have taken me more time to have it different i just didn't make those decisions leading up to it yeah and I, if i can be totally honest with you i have a very large dark elder army that is like 30% painted and the reason why I haven't really given it much thought anymore is because even though I made a video trying to find how I enjoyed painting the yellow color I actually didn't end on a, a thing that made me happy I think the, the result that I found wasn't actually good mm. and so at least in my head um, so I was like but I still went forward with it and I started painting like the, of the vast majority of the army but I've now since recently come up with a better idea for what I want yellow to look like in my army. And I, I think I can get there pretty easily without changing too much about the paint scheme. Yeah. And it's got me kind of uh, reinvigorated to, to explore that, that 40 K uh, army again and, and paint it in that, in that fun way. Um, I want to like do more of a tan yellow with like black. Um, Cause I love, I love black and tan. Those two colors together look so fucking cool. It gives me like, it's very like spec ops vibe. Yeah. Um, like desert spec ops. Um, so I want to do that. Okay. And I think, um, like that, this red that you've got here is a great example of, it's not simply spending more time. It's not simply doing more steps. It's making sure each of those steps does its job as best as possible. Yes. So you can do less steps yes. and still be happy with it when you're done. And even the organization of steps is important, right? Yeah. Cause like, so the very last thing I do is highlight, highlight the red cloth. But the very first thing I do is airbrush it. But I do the highlighting at the end because by that point, I have made mistakes and potentially gotten silver on it or, or gotten some other color on it. And with that hiding step, I can solve those problems without having to solve them when they happen. Right. So it actually takes some training, like when I fuck up to not immediately try to fix the problem, but just save that for its own individual step. That is also the highlighting step. 
Um, so there's lots of like step organization that you can do that makes the process more efficient um, that I want to talk about in that video. Um, yeah. But 10 skellies. 10 skellies. I didn't end up using in that video because, or in that stream because direwolves are a squad of 10 and not five and I can't use a squad of five direwolves and a squad of 10 skellies. Yeah, that's actually a nerf to direwolves. Kind of is, because like a screen is ten fucking models now. Yeah, because they were cheap and they were in fives, and you could you could put them ass to nose and spread them out. So yeah, they covered a lot large arc. Um, so a lot of people don't use as many direwolves anymore because of that. Typically, one unit of ten is still really good to have. Yeah, they seem pretty good. Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, I think when I throw in twenty skellies instead, they, those might feel better uh, because they have like death rattle and dead walkers have like even more special rules other than just being summonable um, that I, uh, I'm looking forward to use, especially with a vampire lord in, in the army. Bro, you need some zombies in your life. Do I? Are they worth it? I feel like it's like skeletons or zombies. You don't need both. Is that kind of the vibe you get to? Um, actually, skellies, because they're in smaller units, are so it kind of, kind of comes down to points. Okay. Because zombies are per unit are 20 models. Yeah, and so and they're slightly more expensive than skeletons, but like that extra fifteen points when you're really getting to the end of your two thousand points of like trimming the fat, so you get an extra unit or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, skeletons are are solid there, yeah, but they, they're just like a lower. They're, they're eighty points for ten or something like that. Yeah. And zombies are just like you still got to chew through twenty wounds, <laughs> even though they don't really have a save. You still gotta. They have to commit to a unit that can kill things because mm-hmm. most units can't even do that many wounds in a round. Even if you're like, I have no armor save, you still have to roll the hit, roll the wound, and then figure out the damage. Mm. And so they have to commit. Otherwise, they're like, I've st- I'm stuck chewing through this unit of zombies for forever. Mm-hmm. Also, zombies are nasty in that they um, can pile in yeah. when they're not in combat. Yeah. So they're like, all you do is you wait till in the combat till everybody else is gone, and they're not in combat, so the the opponent can't choose to fight them. And, and then after everything else is gone, you're like, okay, now I pile in with zombies because you had no choice. It's a six-inch pile-in or something yes. like that, right? Yeah. That's so they nice. can pile in from outright side of range. So you typically don't That's engage. That's awesome. You don't engage with them. You just leave them just outside of three inches. Yeah. And they're like, oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So um, what I painted, I painted nine less models than you. And in fact, I only, <laughs> I only painted a half a model. Yeah, I think, yeah, nine and a half less models. I painted a magic card. This so, is so cool. I uh, I decided I want to do like a pop-up book because they had these new Magic the Gathering commander decks, 40K commander decks. And I bought them because I just thought they were cool and I want to check them out. And I had this idea that I'm like, what if it was like a pop-up book where it's like the model is coming out of the card? And so I decided I wanted to do that, and I looked through all the cards to try to find something where the art, I could have it coming out in three dimensions. Um, And it was a lot more difficult than I thought it was going to be. Because you have to basically kit bash parts of the model, cut it all up, so it's looking the way you want it to look in the pose that's on the card. And also, the, the card, like the size of the feature on the card has to be roughly the same size as a space marine model is right because oftentimes like on the art they're really tiny or it's like all zoomed in they're really big yeah i can even tell this one is maybe a little bit too big yeah it's i mean it's not perfect but it's the closest i could find right yeah to scale i wouldn't have thought about that challenge right because like you can't just like make a space marine bigger it's like right it is what it is there's an easier after i was halfway through doing this and was having a hell of a time constructing this the um uh, the part that I, I realized would have been the easier mode was basically use the artwork 
as like a backdrop. Mm. Like it could be like an atmospheric thing or there's a battle going on in the background and then just have a guy jumping out of the card that isn't, cool. isn't already on the art. I took something that was already on the art and I made that thing 3D. And that's cooler. This is that, way cooler. Yeah, it's you can cooler. see his backpack. Yes, I kept some things that I didn't put on there yes. so you could add the dimension. This is cooler. And also you shaved on his head so he could so it sits lower in there like behind his chest a little bit. Yeah. Um the hardest part is to get the angle correct from the art. So like the shoulder pads are at the correct angle so they're slightly turned up or the the actual torso is fading away into the card. So how you're cutting the model and you really only have about one shot at right, it. Yeah. And it's not done perfectly. And I learned as I went and I had to shave back more and shave back more and stuff. Um, but it was it was such a fun thing. And in the after party, I want to talk about the painting of that because I had some really cool moments of dealing with the painting in relation to the art and the color scheme and the ambiance of the card itself. And it was like trying to match those tones. Yeah. Well, color matching was a part of it, but there's, there's some other stuff too. I'm going to talk about. So we'll talk about that in the after party, which is an extended segment of the podcast, which is an extra 20, 30 minutes length that our patrons get access to. So if you want to support the podcast, if you like listening to us and you want to give us a couple of uh, shickles a month, um, you get, you get that extra, extra episode. I have a couple comments. Yeah. First of all, if you put that in some sick case, some collector would pay mucho bucks for that you think so absolutely that is fucking sick and here's why i know i painted custom key caps Ooh. for the keyboard community um and they went crazy for them and i didn't even paint them well um because they're not used to artistry i guess ah <laughs> and so i bet I, while this has happened a couple times in the past not with 40k stuff um and that is great execution um put it in a case make it seem fancy and it's you know it was painted well like they'd be like holy shit that's fucking awesome like you could you could sell that i think if you wanted to for like i don't know 200 bucks cool maybe even more cool i i, 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 I have no idea maybe even more i thought that i was gonna put it in like a shadow box yeah so it's like in the back of a shadow box so there's depth from the shadow box and then it's coming out too so yeah i think it would i think something like those display really well oh absolutely too, yeah it's a cool part of it yeah and then two i love this like for you because like this is like magic the gathering and 40k put together in a thing yeah and mini painting in a thing yeah it's like it's all coming together and i, I personally love doing that um and that's just like a great combination of interests and that was kind of my storyline behind it <laughs> so by now by the time this episode of the podcast is out the video on this process will be out so you can check out the video but that's kind of the origin of it is like taking two things that I really like because magic is truly my entry into the nerd sphere as a kid. Like that was the first thing I did. Um, maybe second to starting to read fantasy books, like reading Lord of the Rings and then reading Dragonlance novels was my foray into that. And then magic in the fifth grade, I started playing magic in the fifth grade. So um, it's just kind of like an homage to a thing that is like the foundation to my my nerddom and then the connection of 40k combining with magic is like well how do i get to both of the things i like together and this kind of just came up and obviously there's a level of inspiration to it i didn't think about it at the time but i i certainly want to pay homage to the work that 
um, Roman Lapot is doing with his um, his shadow box forty mm. K stuff. Oh yeah, okay, it's similar to that. You're right. Where it's like blending the two D and the three D together to create a scene, and so um, not knowing exactly how he does it, I now haven't gone through this. I can envision that and kind of gets me excited to do something like that even it's a great way to kind of dip your toes into that idea right You're, it is very much more in the uh, traditional artsy side of of the hobby yeah you know because you are taking a lot of things that like are more traditional art um and kind of combining them with the miniature sculpture so it's really cool stuff but yeah i'm happy with how it turned out awesome i will tell you this though when i had the whole thing cut up and then i would like uh, poster tack it to the card to see if the positions were right and everything. I was like, this is going to look terrible. It looked, <laughs> it looked so much worse not painted. Um, wow. Also, you have to you have one shot at super gluing each individual piece because none of the pieces are actually connected. Mm. It's not like I built the model and cut it in half. Right. Each part of that is not connected to the other parts. Yeah. So you have one shot at super gluing the piece and putting it on the card correctly because you can't you can't even like move it around you know like sometimes when you glue stuff together and then you're kind of like you while it's still curing you basically yeah. have some some wiggle room to try to get it right no, where you want it that cardboard absorbs that glue baby instantly yeah instantly so his head is not exactly positioned how i want it positioned. no it looks fine like look the, the angle of the top of the head is correct and that's what i was basing it on look, <laughs> it's a little off center look, yeah look, look where the neck meets the <laughs> the armor don't yeah. tell anyone yeah except for everyone who listens to our podcast <laughs> now you see it <laughs> Um, yeah, it's a little bit off. Um, but I, I love was like the, the Nurgle head. That's like, that's green stuffed. What is that's uh that is a Space Marine head that I green stuffed the horn and the little boobos on it. You fucking fooled me. Yeah, I thought that was a Nurgle head that you tossed on there as like a kit bash. Because in the art, um, Nurgle heads are too too small. That's the problem. But in yeah, the art, right, right. like the 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 card's name is Nurgle Rot. So these Space Marines are being affected with the rot, and that guy like it's turning like bright like irate red where this little horn is starting to show is starting to pop on, out of his skin and so i'm like i have to take up space marine head and what a way to go stuff that what a way to go for the chosen astartes yeah get wrecked yeah by fucking, some virus fucking losers <laughs> did you even get your flu shot bro <laughs> <laughs> did you get boosted bro <laughs> so that's what we painted in the last fortnight Broken Anvil is the sponsor of this portion of today's episode, and if you've had your eye on their products, I have some good news for you. Broken Anvil just launched a brand new shop chock full of all kinds of different miniatures for your hobby and gaming needs. From their half-orc wizard to their vicious witch of the Eastlands, Broken Anvil's web store has you covered. If there's one company in the industry that I want to see succeed, it is absolutely them. From being an amazing sponsor to work with, to treating their employees right, to making great products, Broken Anvil just does it all. John and I got the chance to meet them, and it was a great experience. For the next 14 days, listeners of the podcast will also get 35% off anything in their web store with the coupon code 35OFF-TUPFAM, which is also down in the show notes below, along with a link to the web store to go and check it out. Shout out to Broken Ample for sponsoring this portion of today's episode. Now, on to the main topic. All right. The topic today is brought to us by our good buddy, Stu. Stu... Great goody PP member. I think he is one of the flag bearers, one of the, the traditional, original OG patrons of the podcast. So thank you, Stu. Stu, his suggested topic title is, is getting good actually bad? Mm. So 
the the kind of synopsis of Stu's predicament he's found himself in lately is that he's been in this painting slump over the last number of months and the way i interpret it based on his his text there was like he's to a point where he recognizes the difference between kind of introductory level beginner miniature painting and high level miniature painting so he recognizes where he wants to go but he's struggling in that highest level execution so he feels worse yep than he did when he was just oblivious this is classic classic stew classic stew but also a classic thing i think for many walks of life yes right this i think this is akin to the as a 20 year old i thought i was a genius mm-hmm. as a 30 year old i think i'm a dumbass but yeah. presumably we are both wiser and smarter uh, you know pa- these last past 10 years i think i can i can like make that connection back to basically when i met my wife because she <laughs> she let me know slowly over the years how dumb I really am. Not that she has like berated me and put me down. It just kind of like, I realized it on my own. Yeah. And, and she kind of like, just would like lob them over the plate. And I would just be like, Oh God damn it. I am stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's just like the more, you know, the more you realize how little, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of what it comes down to, right? Yes. So when it comes to miniature painting, and, and Stu's got some other talking points that we want to make sure we hit because he's got some good stuff I want to dig into here. But um, when you're starting anything, and miniature painting is a great example, you're just you're just happy to be here, right? You do a thing. Oh, my gosh, this thing was gray. Now it's got paint on it. And I'm just, I had fun. And I have a thing at the end. It's part of this this creation process. Anything you create, whether it's a, a cabinet or whether it's a miniature or whether it's a fixing the plumbing in your house, you've done a thing, a physical job, and you can look at the thing and say, that thing is now fixed. That thing now exists when before it didn't. That thing used to be lumber, and now it's where I put my toilet paper next to my, next to my toilet. Um, whatever it is, you've created a thing. And that, that creates this these um, hormones, there's release of hormones in our bodies that is the satisfactory thing, this mm. creation thing, yes. which is kind of innate to like the how humans have evolved over time because you needed to create in order to survive or thrive. You know, when you're living in a cave and, you know, there's saber-toothed tigers out there in the nighttime and that's why we're scared of the dark as humans because in the nighttime is where the scary things that will eat you are. And so you're like, I have to create door for cave. I have door. I have created. I always love your evolutionary throwback. <laughs> it's it's truthful. So you painting minis is basically the same thing as is keeping your tribe safe from saber two tigers. <laughs> I mean, yeah, maybe. I can't dispute it because it sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and I honestly, you know, you, you mentioned something how when you are just getting started, you're happy to be here. And I don't want to derail us too much, but I really feel for the people that actually get into mini painting through watching videos on YouTube. Because I can definitely see a kind of person who would like set b- bad expectations for themselves before mm. even starting. Yeah. And then just like get to that negative place like way sooner than like someone who's kind of just like, 
having fun and like like you said there for the ride um like probably both of us were when we first started painting minis like what the fuck is the internet like i don't really know mm-hmm. um i'm just gonna paint this skeleton and have fun and, yeah. and now it, I, I wish that for everybody for their like their first however many models before they, like they want to like really kind of you know get good air quotes um kind of feels bad to just start out in that negative headspace yeah the the get good um kind of fuel is is often going to it's going to make you stumble um but you need to go through that stumbling at some point to get to those next level ups yeah yeah um but that doesn't mean that um at the beginning first of all at the beginning if you don't have those dopamine hits and you don't have that feel good process without comparing yourself oh my gosh yeah um that's a great point you know you want to be able to fall back on that and and let's say you're in a point where you're like gosh i don't even know if i ever really had that or like it's been a long time since i felt that um the recommendation I have, and I have to do this with myself too, um, even when it's for painting for a video. And a recent one that I did that I felt that way was I tried to replicate the Craft World Studio style for the Leagues of Votan guy. I set my expectations for myself super low. It was all about me just having fun and not knowing how they do a thing, but just like trying it out and see how it goes. And I ended up having so much more fun with that model because I didn't tell myself, this is as good as I paint now. I have to paint at least this good for this model, mm. right? You like, well, this is my low bar now as I've gotten better. And so I like put pressure on myself to paint at a minimum, hit that bar. Just throw those bars out and just say like, here's a skeleton. I, I don't care about anything. I'm not going to think about what the steps are that I need to take for this to turn out well. That's true. I'm just going to sit down and have fun and mentally check out. And guess what? At the end, it's going to look way better than a skeleton you would have painted a year ago or two years ago. And then you will know what that feeling is of completion. And that will encourage you to want to paint more stuff. If you don't have that feeling, you don't really know what you're, I guess, missing out on. Um, Yeah, that's that's, that's great advice. Yeah. Just paint more minis. I I I think a thing that what I envision because I've seen Stu's paint works and Stu is good Stu is a very good painter um, and so what I think like Stu is doing <coughs> first first of all he's probably getting models that are like really nice models like display models 54 72 mils and then before you even started you have like this like expectation of making this look as good as the box art or make sure I do the model justice. And sometimes that can really get you stuck. Mm. I real I bought this model. I paid 50 bucks for it. It was uh, something that I really, really love the sculpt. And so before you even pick up your brush, like there's this weight on your shoulders. Um, that's why I, I like to like have models that I don't love, but there's something cool about them or something interesting or it's something different than I'd usually paint mm. because it's easier for me to separate must be great from just have fun. Okay. Do you ever have you ever done anything like that where it's like I wouldn't have painted this model before, or given my own like the usual things I like, but because of that, like it just was a more fun experience. Not really. I think typically when I paint something, it's it's a subject matter that I'm typically always interested in. I've even got to the point where I don't take sponsorships where it's not a model that I would have painted in my free time like so i ended up doing like one or two of those a year 
um, because I just am so precious about like what I paint is going to be what I want to paint and not like mm-hmm. what I'm paid to paint. But that's kind of unrelated to what you're saying. Um, but to answer your question, I don't think very often I'm doing that. Did would you? It's not necessarily something you dislike the model, but maybe it wouldn't be in your usual wheelhouse. For you, I was thinking like the Nico Galaxy Chef guy. Like, oh, the the Mindwork Games Chef guy. Mindwork Games, yes, Mindwork Games Chef guy. Like that doesn't. If I were to see that on the shelf and I'd be like, I'm 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 uh, searching for a Christmas present for Scott, I probably wouldn't get that model for you for a Christmas present. It doesn't scream Scott to me. That's fair. That's fair. But it's a really cool and interesting model. But it's like a sidestep away of like my my, my usual highway that I travel for what I like to paint. Yeah. And because of that, like I and I felt like I could see that even in your video of painting him. It was like messing with the stuff with the goo on the tentacle, dealing with the weird colors of stuff on the tentacle, figuring out like the stains on his shirt and stuff like it didn't feel like a lot of pressure stuff it was having fun with it and of course he's gonna have mustard stain how do i do mustard stain like there's there's just some fun parts of it that it didn't feel that pressure and maybe yeah. that was just done in the editing room i don't know no i mean i think i think maybe a certain amount of that is happening uh subconsciously i was when my work games approached me i was interested in doing that model because i have a little bit of an interest in like cooking and, and yeah. culinary world yep, yep. um and so again, I like to combine interests. I thought I would be like, yeah, let's do it. But definitely on the doctor, that was more of a thing because I was like, I I painted the doctor, the second bust, because I, I had so much fun painting the chef the first time around. Mm-hmm. And even though I'm not, not like super into like the subject matter of like whatever healthcare or stuff, I, I still painted that model. And and then this did happen where I had fun painting yellow eyes, green hair. In this world, hospital colors are green and yellow and not red and white. And I just doing all these weird things I would never would have done ever. Yeah. So yeah I, now that I'm thinking about this, uh, yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I think that that's part of it is um, kind of shaking free from the groove that you've gotten yourself into, which naturally will happen the the longer you've painted and the kind of the more your skill naturally increases mm. is you'll get in a groove it's like i paint a ton of space marines and over the last two years um i've gotten pretty good at how to do those volumes or or whatever it is and so if you do something else you kind of can trick your brain into thinking like well this isn't a space marine so i don't need to have it all figured out i don't need to know it all i'm just yeah. gonna go, go into the process a little bit different and and uh set my own expectations of myself lower and that doesn't mean like you're not going to get better by doing that in fact by painting things of a different variety you end up having some aha moments of like foundational things that transcend the type of model you're painting okay so it's like because you have this new sandbox playing it gives you an opportunity to explore things you otherwise wouldn't learn things you otherwise wouldn't and stuff like that Mm mm-hmm yeah, I could honestly. That's that's a great observation, and I totally agree. Yeah, like how I paint those big cylindrical thigh plates and and you know wrist plates and stuff of a space marine is actually not that much different than how I paint a flesh forearm of a person. Yeah, it's still the same basic shape. Mm-hmm. And so to get kind of get over like I don't know how to do this, I don't know how to do this. You don't know how to do it. That's fine. Who cares? Just as you go, you realize it's like oh. It's not that much different. Yeah. And then you got your army, no pressure. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. I think another thing I want to refer, uh, talk about before we get into Stu's talking points is that like the more 
at least this happened to me. Like when I started to get good at display painting, you sometimes run into like the rules and like kind of a, a gatekeepy attitude about display painting models. And it's like, these are the things that one must do to have a model at the end that looks good. And one of those things I can think about is like, you know, pe- people always talk about spending a hundred hours on painting a model or shit like that, or, or NMM or, or whatever they are. They're like, they're like, they're like the milestones or the hallmarks of a good mini painter. And like, you'll even run into people like cons and stuff that you can just tell are like, <laughs> it's weird to say this, but like display painter groupies. Mm. You've ever like seen this where it's like, they just like kind of like worship the ground that like really great painters walk on in a way, not like literally, but it's kind of like, they're definitely like there for the prestige and like they have, they like have everything figured out textbook wise. Um, maybe they're great painters as well. I'm not referring to them being bad or anything. Um, but like the better I got, the more I became like that person. And it was like, I was definitely like a kind of a groupy person. I was like, okay, these are, this is what, this is what a good model should look like. And then I think the further you get down that train, the more you realize that you, you bounce back the pendulum swings back. And it's like, actually I am just doing this for fun. And that's how I'm gonna do whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> that's where I'm at now. I'm kind of like, I'm past that point. I, I'll just paint whatever for, for fun now. Yeah. I, I think the, the, I've heard this quote and it doesn't, it hasn't directly wasn't about miniature painting, but I think it a hundred percent applies. The, what you're looking to do is you're looking to learn what all the rules are. So you know how to bend and break them. Yeah. And so oftentimes when we hit roadblocks um, and the, the, the kind of a major roadblock is that part of, really understanding the rules technically you understand the science of things quite well you've done a fair amount of research and and maybe you've joined some patreons and watched sergio calvo's painting process or you watched a bunch of youtube videos you've analyzed you follow them all on instagram and you analyze each of their amazing new works and you try to figure out how david colwell does the things he does that seem like magic so you've gotten the technical stuff down and your brain is just like overloaded with all this <laughs> data set but the data set isn't actually what makes their final pieces amazing mm. it's not the technical stuff it's understanding that but then it's like how do i improvise in the moment and how do i go about my process because each model is different and no two will go through any specific sets to get them done mm-hmm. so how do you find out where do you break where do you bend? Where do you say the the core of why Sergio does it this way is because it's going to really end up with a finalized um, stylistic piece that really highlights the shininess of the armor and still shows the atmospheric stuff. But it's not about this. He did this step, then this step, then this step to to achieve that. Yeah, and that can that is, in my opinion, the hardest part of getting better at miniature painting is committing so much to figuring out the science to then actively throwing it out the window. Mm, Yeah. No, knowing when that it isn't valuable. Um, like in that recent video I came out with, I I mentioned how reference photos aren't the Holy grail of like how you should paint a model. Right. And also like when you choose to bake and break and uh, bend the rules is really kind of, a component of your personal style, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, like you showed me that awesome Leagues of Votan model where I think the shadow color you used 
on the boots in certain areas wasn't actually darker than that part of the model. And that just looked sick and that made no sense, but it didn't matter. And that got me thinking, I was like, what if I did an oil wash on silver armor with like red bright ass paint? Yeah, and it, took a, it had like a red line running through the, the the recesses. Like, what would that look like? You know, because like you know, who cares? So yeah, just like that. I I did that one time. This was uh, a while. One of my earlier videos where I I painted up the the creature caster game judgment, and I did oil washes and stuff. And I did like an oil wash of magenta, like magenta, magenta, like bright ass magenta as the oil wash over the skin. Mm-hmm. And it was like, whoa, it looked so good. And I was like, this isn't even darker than the darker acrylics I have on here. Mm. But it added a depth of color. And your human eye is like, that's showing the warmth. And that's showing that there's blood underneath the skin. And it doesn't need to make 100% sense with how light works for it to work. No, yeah. Um, Real cool, baby. Yeah, and that's that's just it. That's not a rule. That's not a a step we we take, and that's not following somebody's step-by-step. And in relation to this, um, this is where I think we get ourselves caught up. You need to understand that the way you're taught a thing, specifically something that requires a lot of visual input in order to learn, is it needs to be done in a way that makes categorical sense. So when we're making a YouTube video or someone is making a PDF step-by-step breakdown of how they painted a thing or they're just walking you through it on a Patreon, they need to find some logical order of things in order for you to maximize understanding the process. The problem with that is that's not, that's not typically how the process even works. Right, We have to make it consumable in something for people to absorb, but that gives you the indication of the viewer that these steps were all planned out and these steps are the order the things must be done in. And even if the author or the artist doesn't ever say that, and usually they don't, um, we, we kind of infer that the order is a certain way because that's the way it is done correctly to get the outcome you want. When in reality, I'm constantly painting something and getting my own visual real-time feedback on that thing to determine what I wanna do next, what needs fixing, what don't I not exactly like, where that's going, what wasn't pushed far enough, what was pushed too far, mm-hmm. what, how is this color not working with the other colors, how is this color now influence my color choice for the next color? Like, there's all these back and forth. It's not linear at all, but the result of the medium with a fixed timeline on a video or a fixed timeline and how we read left to right, page to page, that seems like it's on a straight line. Yeah. And that's not how it works. But yeah. that's half. To, it has to be how we tell it to you. Otherwise, it would be complete chaos, and you wouldn't learn anything. <laughs> yeah. Um. I would say that that process is definitely much more intrinsic to display painting than it is to batch painting a unit. Because, like, yeah, there is there is experimentation that happens. Well, at least not for maybe everyone, but at least for me, there is. But then once you have it figured out, then it, then it is like a thing where I was like, yes. I've done the work. This is what I think it works for me in terms of efficiency and outcome. 
here is the process. But I think the majority of videos where people are painting stuff, that isn't the case. I know Sarastro at some point painted test models of his things before making the video, which is just like fucking absolute Chad. Who the fuck <laughs> does that? Um, not me. But he he might have. I know he did at some point. I don't know if he still does. Um, but yeah, so he, he does that. So that makes sense for his process. But most people probably don't do that. And then, yeah, we kind of display it as if it is a thing that is solved or figured out, which, you know, that's not really true to to mini painting especially display painting yeah i think like um doing an entire army doing a speed paint doing a, a unit to look as good as you can without taking days and days to do it all of those things require specific steps but whether it was doing a test model or whether it's drawing on your years of experience and having done this before or having done commission paints or having done multiple armies before you're drawing on all of that testing and retesting and fine tuning your process. So when you get to painting the army or speed painting the certain way, you've done all of that testing and, and back and forth and evolving. And now you're just cranking it out. And the problem is, is so much of the, the kinds of videos, the kinds of painting styles, the standard GW paint videos are just showing you what the final steps are. They aren't walking through how you got to making that decision. It's back to the, I've said it a hundred times. It's the giving you a fish instead of teaching you to fish. Yeah. And the problem solving painting is all about problem solving, like real time. And it's like, if they don't teach you that, then you just end up painting in the way that they paint with their paints with their process because it's like i don't i don't know how to deviate from this right right and that's okay as well like there are tons yeah. of painters absolutely that are i want to know how to paint my leagues of votan with this army color scheme that's in the book what colors do i use how do i make it look as best as possible for 45 minutes per model and so on and so forth so i can have an army i'm proud of at the table and and you know all that Th that is absolutely a valuable thing and by doing that you'll get better at your execution i think what <laughs> excuse me what stu is struggling with is not the copy paste execution no so much as it is the i see i see it all i know how it should be done but when i sit down to do it there's a gap there yeah there's a gap so Stu, what you actually do is you actually know too much so you need to get concussed and have make your brain a little foggy and then yeah. you won't remember any of this stuff play some rugby yeah and then then i use helmets because they're fucking psychopaths. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I would say play uh, American football. Not, not American football. Soccer or just football. But all of their injuries are faked anyway. So that wouldn't count. Scathing. <laughs> that wouldn't count. Um, but yes, they, they, they do uh, um, mixed martial arts in England. They got... Uh, they got the patty over there, Patty the Batty. Um, so you could let, you could go, you could knock on Patty's door and and call him a, a a tripe sucker or something and have him bonk you in the head. There you go. That's definitely the easiest way to get, get, get concussed. Yes. Should we uh, crack out one of his talking points to, to spice the life? Yeah, up? He, he wrote a novel here, so let me read. Okay, 
he we talked about well, maybe maybe there's more here. I'll bring up the first point. It's called the Twilight Zone. He says, I found myself in a weird no man's land where I struggle to do tabletop stuff to a standard I'm happy with. Yet I get mm. pissed off with not being able to Michael Prosarski my way into doing display stuff. Go figure. So he's unhappy with not only his tabletop stuff, but also just getting results that fall short of the greatest painter in the world. Yes. Uh, you probably shouldn't compare yourself to one of the greatest painters in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's just folly, right? I think, but I get it. Obviously. I think the Michael Pasarski comparison is, is tying back to the thing we talked about before is like, he's probably watched how Michael Pasarski does stuff. We've taken a class from him. Yeah. We found out how he does NMM. Yeah. And I still can't do it. <laughs> and, Granted, I haven't spent hours and hours and hours trying to replicate it because I value my sanity, but I, his process is very laborious. That's what I'm getting at. There, I mean, that was also four years ago, and he has definitely gotten better over the time. Yes, yes. Um, but I, so I think part of that is like you, you've done the research stuff. It doesn't look like Michael Pasarski's. It's not going to. You want, you want to hit the fast forward button. Where you've spent hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours, so then you are there, so your brain matches what your hand can output. Yeah, yeah. It just takes work. It just takes time, man. Yeah, yeah. Getting from level one to like level seven, um, depending on how much time you put in, is not take nearly as long as it gets from level seven to level nine. Yeah, like those next two levels, there's there's like a huge steep jump. Um, just and, like look at how many display miles Michael Pasarski has painted. Like just go, yeah. to, go to his Instagram. It's just like he's popping out like one a week, for, like the last like fucking four years or something. Like I don't, not one a week, maybe like one every two to three weeks. But it's like it is consistent, and like he's doing competition entries too. Like it, it doesn't post the whips on online, so like he is putting hours and hours behind that brush. Um, so and like even before that, he's been painting. I think his first 75 millimeter model was a barbarian model from Black Sun Miniature. You might even remember it mm. as the one holding the axe. Uh, one of the, <laughs> the one holding the axe, like every other fucking one on their site. Um, anyways, with the yeah. helmet and the bare chest. Uh, yeah, actually, <laughs> I don't think that one has a helmet, but he has a helmet variant. Um, but yeah, so even before that point, man was painting 32 mil models like to an amazing result winning golden demons for for years so yeah hard to compare yourself to that i think the my takeaway for Stu and others in this boat is because i i actually think I'm, I'm probably in the same point where Stu is um on my journey and i think that as long as you make time <coughs> make time in any any given week to put in the hours to try to improve at your high level painting, that that's all you can ask of yourself because you're to a point where you just need more reps. Yep. And those reps will evolve your own style and will let each of those kind of technical aspects slowly improve over time. Yeah. Now to the talk about the tabletop level stuff. He said he's just not happy with the tabletop stuff. And this is where I'm at in my journey. Okay. I'm trying to figure out, because like I'm a I'm not a fast painter, I have ne I don't really have painted armies, and so I'm trying to figure out what level of quality am I happy with. And so I've been experimenting with that Novitiate kill team that I just did, and then this squad of ten skeletons right here. And without without realizing that I'm doing it, I am trying to figure out like what what I can do for tabletop standard that that I'm happy with. And uh, 
it's a lot of experimentation. I've done a lot of writing down. I like write down like how long uh, certain steps take so that I can compare them to see is this worth it for the time invested. Um, I mean, like I don't do that all the time, but I do it a couple times uh, just to see because like obviously certain things are going to look way better than other uh, steps. But if it takes four times as long, it's not worth it for a skeleton. Um, So I don't know. I think, again, maybe it's just more reps. And also, you don't have to attack it in the way that I do. You don't have to t- take notes and stuff. But that was helpful for me and might be helpful for others. I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think one thing that's I, – I agree with that. I think that, one, setting your mindset before you start sit down and just do something for fun for tabletop is very important. Because otherwise, if you're usually painting for getting better at your highest level – when you sit down in your chair, like your brain reverts to that mindset. And so you're not going to be happy because whether or not you're thinking about it that way, the expectations you're setting of yourself are related to painting to display level. And that's not what I'm doing today. So I need to actively sit down and say, okay, my goal is to just do four layers of paint on any surface, no more, maybe less, but no more. That way I'm limiting to myself to nitpicking a thing to really digging down and do more glazes and more glazes and then stippling more and stippling more. And suddenly your brain is going into competition level instead of just like sitting down and giving yourself some restrictions to make it be your current level of, of tabletop. What I've found with that too is that actually how I walk away from that feeling better is realizing that I'm better with how I what I can achieve with one layer of highlight than I could a year ago. I feel like I've gotten better at knowing what consistency of paint, where to apply, brush pressure, um, brush control, all those things that I've been just because I paint more often has made me better. It's actually made me better at tabletop quality too. And if you realize those small victories, you'll be like, oh, I don't need for this thing to be a grand work of art for me to still see the improvement and see how I've gotten better with the same or less amount of time. Yeah. I have two comments about that. I kind of get caught in these two worlds where it's like for, for tabletop painting, it's like, I feel like sometimes we stress a little bit too much and I'm definitely not helping with what I'm talking about in this episode. (laughs) about like uh, trying to figure out the best way to paint the models and like be nice. <laughs> Purr! <laughs> and try to be super efficient and shit like that and be like very cognizant of like how much time I'm spending. Like it's just a 30 minute paint job. Is it a 15? Is it yeah. an hour? It's like, you know, you could just sit down and just paint the fucking skeletons. Like I was, so on these skeletons, I was like, do I airbrush the red? Do I airbrush the metallic? It's like, man, it's a lot of metallic to paint with a paintbrush. I don't want to do that. I'm trying to figure out this hack. Like, <laughs> how do I airbrush the metallic and the red, but not get metallic like on the bone, which would make it a pain in the ass to paint? And then, then I think one of my patrons, Irk, was like, what if, what if you just painted the metallic with a paintbrush? And I was like, fine, I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> I did that, and I was like, whatever. This isn't a big deal. Like, oh. it took me, it took me 15 minutes a model for that one step and yeah that's long for one step but like who fucking cares dude just do it uh you know sometimes it's okay 
You know what I call that? What's I that? call that the approaching the paint job like it's a YouTube title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No <laughs> shake. That, that's great. That's exactly what it is. That uh, you don't kind of figure out an angle or a hack. Yeah, like just just paint the damn model. Yeah. Um, so there's definitely a little bit of that when it comes to tabletop painting. It's like you're not going to figure everything out. Everything is going to be perfect. You have to just settle at some point, and that's okay. Like you're just painting minis now. Like welcome to the hobby. Um, and dang, I think the other thing fluttered away from my 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 mind. From your gray matter. My gray matter. All right. Oh, we're going to get down to <coughs> this next section here, see how much we this we've discussed or things we want to discuss more. That next section is about analysis paralysis. A uh, couple of things here. Death by theory. Color theory, light direction, highlight placement, volume, secondary reflections, specular highlights, blah de fucking blah. <laughs> my brain hurts. Make it stop. Next, death by technique. Which technique do I use? Should I be using wet blending here? Two brush blending, void blending, split blending, capy Is void blending a fucking thing or is it a meme? I thought it was a meme. That name is ludicrous. <laughs> can we stop? Can that not be a thing? Can we decide right now yeah, that's not a so. thing? I think we can. I think we can. Okay. That's a meme. If you want to be funny, it's a joke. Next, knowledge is power. Is it really? Am I really going to read that Kirill Kanyov book I splashed out on? Um, is, that a, is that an English term? Splash, splash, out splashed out, out on? I'm assuming splurged on. Stu, I need uh, I need the uh, transcripts of this. Yeah, we need the English. We need, we need the American version of this English uh, writing. So those are kind of his three breakdowns of analysis paralysis. Yeah. And I don't know how deep you want to go on these things. because We've definitely talked about them before, but it's like, yeah, obviously knowledge is power, but knowledge is nothing without implementation, right? Without hours behind the brush and, and, and doing it. You can collect all the bits of knowledge you want. Ain't going to do shit for your mini painting unless you like actually do it and get good at it over time. Yeah. I mean, if you were to think you were going to go back in time and use a time machine and like go visit like, Michelangelo or Da Vinci or Picasso or whatever, and they're in the midst of doing a work, and you're like, boop, you teleport right behind them, you're like, <laughs> um, so exactly how did you get this this perfect blend on the cheek right there? They look at you and first of all and be like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> 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 and then they'd be like, who the fuck cares? <laughs> <laughs> they're like, why are you why are you bringing this dribble to me yeah like, this, this is not it i i'm not worried about the technical aspect or the theory of why it is the way it is it simply is it's definitely a mini painting thing yeah to like get just stuck in the what is it skullduggery no that's stuck in the, the the dredge of uh of technique mm -hmm. the the uh sand trap it's the sand trap oh, of yeah. life yeah <laughs> <laughs> um Again, you've got the knowledge. You understand how these things are. Now, forget them and let your monkey brain do them without thinking about them. And there's no like practical application that I know of of forgetting and doing other than just repeating with with doing your best to not worry about where you where you're doing things. I think the thing that's helped me get over that hump is when I'm doing things while I'm recording for a video, my brain is usually thinking about things of like, okay, what kind of shot do I want to get here? What part do I want to make sure I, I'm showing on film of this section? Which part of the armor do I want to make sure is going to be in frame the most? It's going to show up on camera the most. So my brain is thinking about other things. And so it's not thinking about, should I be glazing down here? Should I blah, 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 blah. And so it's just kind of like an autopilot. Mm. 
I'm not thinking about those things, even though I'm doing them. Mm. Um, that's helped me. Um, maybe do something like listen to an audio book or watch a movie or watch a, uh, a TV series or something that you're actually interested in and you want to be paying attention to what's uh, going on. Put pain in the backseat. Yeah. So mm. then the painting is just the 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 technical aspect is happening without you feeling like I need to make a decision on do I wet blend this or not. And like your your subconscious brain will have figured that out without you having to worry about it. That's that's possibly true. Also, I forgot that he thing he mentioned about like wet blending and stuff. Like that's just the we've said it in the past too. That's just the wrong way to think about technique. It's not like I did a one technique to a part of the model, and that was part of the step. That's definitely like the the, the thought process that comes from like those PDF guides. It's like, yes. I'm going to wet blend the cape and here is the technique for wet blending. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's true for some people, uh, but I know for me and, and potentially you, it's kind of like, well, I'm just going to do whatever works, man. And it's kind of like a, a weird hybrid mishmash of all kinds of different things. And like on certain parts of that cloak, you might be wet blending. On certain parts, you might be feathering. On other parts, you might be void blending. Void spirit. Uh, <laughs> hey. Uh, shout out Dota TI going on right now. You watching any Dota TI? I, I've not been, but now I didn't realize it was going on right now. You don't got to worry about it. All, you, unless you care about the semi, like the playoffs, but the, the main enchilada is not this not this weekend but the next one so if you want to watch the big old whatever million dollar prize pool grand finals it is that's that's next week i like to get i I like to get some reps in of like getting my brain back in 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 dota like mindset if i jump right into like the finals and stuff i'm not going to be like yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna be in it, right? You know what I mean? I got you. You got, you got to understand the meta. Yeah, the current I mean, meta. Yes, yeah. exactly. Then, then I appreciate it more. Yeah, I, I get that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so technique isn't like a isn't like a put the square peg in the square hole situation. It's it's more it's more fluid at least at least for us. Um, yeah, yeah. I, and you broke that down, which is which is very common, and it's a good thing to bring up, Stu, and that is the analysis paralysis. And we saw with your examples there the depth in which it can go. Um, what I found is like, sometimes I'm just like really into wet blending and I just find myself doing it more. And other times I look back, I'm like, did I do wet blending in the last six months? I don't remember. Yeah. (laughs) Like, and you'll find like, you'll just end up doing something lately. I've been doing really a lot more layering. Same. Yeah. And like, I used to think that just layering was the basic stuff that that's what they teach you in GW, GW school, because that's the, the starter point. And then eventually you graduate from that. And then you're just doing like live blending on the model and you're doing a lot more. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, that's not necessarily how it works because no. I mean, surprise, surprise, Darren Latham is one of the best mini painters alive because he's the fucking master of layering. He's so goddamn good at it. It makes me want to barf in my mouth. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and so when I realized that and I got to like, I got to, I got to hold some of his pieces in my hand when we were over in, in England. You and touched, I'm like, you touched him. I touched, I touched it with my, with my, t- with my mandrels, with my, Wiener. And then uh, he, he wasn't in the room at the time. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. are like, hey, Dad, could you give me, uh, can you give me a cup of water? It's like, all right. <laughs> Zip. <laughs> why Why do all my Eldar have mushroom stamps on their foreheads? 
Um, you just like you you realize how how relevant any way that you apply paint to model with brush can be, and then so worrying about having to do things a certain way or having to use a certain technique is is kind of folly. Instead, what is like what is naturally happening? What is what seems fun? What seems the least barrier? of complexity or stress for you. And that's where the fun's gonna come back. And you're gonna end up getting really good at doing that technique. And then suddenly that becomes a subconscious thing that just happens. And they'd be like, oh, I think now actually I might wanna do um, a little bit of feathering here to really boost the, the vibrancy in the shadows. And then you'll start getting into a groove with that. And before you know it, you'll have a, a well-rounded uh, resume. Yeah, as it were. I also think that with layering, you have just way more control, like of where that final highlight ends up, how many layers you're using, how many, how much of each layer is represented on the final blend. You know, like with a wet blend, it's kind of like, okay, if you are a fucking master, you'll like nail it. But like even after one or two wet blends, you'll still have to adjust it to get it to look like the right reflectivity or something like that so with layering it's much more like easy to see like what you're building to yeah yeah it's like okay go go catch sam lens on on streaming on twitch and you'll see how someone can use acting with live wet paint on a model to create ridiculous things in an obscenely short amount of time yeah and see a master at that technique yeah matt or matt I don't know who Matt is. Matt Lenz, Sam's alter ego. Um, he like he just makes it look like there's no effort involved when in reality it's like Sam has painted thousands of hours for probably 15 plus years to get to where he's at. Just refining this way of his painting, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then and then go watch uh, right after that. Go watch a Richard Gray video on YouTube and see what somebody with a little teeny tiny brush that's always working with a thin layer consistency paint can, can do with a totally different technique, which is the majority of how Richard paints is mostly one technique. You don't need, he's just so good at it and it's so second nature. Um, it's just like, it's mind blowing to see they're amazing artists that do things completely differently and they can both create amazing things. And then it's like, well, you know what? I don't have to know all the all the techniques to, to create something that I'm proud of. I think that's a lovely bow tie to this conversation. Find what works for you and do that. Maybe there's a bit of a, a struggle in the beginning as you're experimenting and trying out things and finding things you don't like, but once you kind of settle, then it's like, okay, I can just paint this way now. Yeah, the path of least resistance mm. for you to get a model painted is the one that's going to make you the happiest because you didn't build up your stress along the way. That was the other thing I wanted to say about tabletop painting is that there's a great dopamine hit when we paint a single display model. It looks great, even when painting a part of a display model, yeah. right? But when painting a tabletop model, if you paint a single dude, you're kind of like, meh. Mm -hmm. You paint 10 of them like that though, it's great. So mm. my advice to you, Stu, is if you are kind of like meh with your paint job, paint the unit and then look at it and then ask, is it meh? It might not be. So you might surprise yourself with the volume of miniatures, how a, a, a worser paint job can look a lot better. You're a worser paint job. Thank you. Yeah. Wait, what? I have to tell you as we are wrapping up the the main topic of, of this today. He has to tell you this. I have way. to tell you this. Specifically, this is for Stu. I've had... <laughs> 
so much gas during this main topic. If I had a microphone like six inches from my butt this whole episode, you wouldn't hear anything Scott and I would have said. Butt mic. It would just be like... Just a foghorn? I think the key was last night, I wasn't I wasn't all that hungry, so I just had a, a, a chocolate protein shake with uh, vitamins in it for my supper, and that gets, gets me a little gassy, and so like it was all bubbling guts all all night, overnight, mm. and this morning I woke up and I was just like, I got out of bed and was like, whoop! <laughs> just like the air shot me out of bed. <laughs> a little jet booster. And ever since, I'm just like, I'm getting ready for tendies, basically. My <laughs> stomach's like, we need to evacuate all gaseous forms. I'm sure that'll help and not just like continue the problem. Oh, it's going to continue the problem, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So thank you, Stu, for offering up uh, your shitty painting and your terrible personality. <laughs> Um, to the podcast for everyone to make fun of you. We appreciate you. We love you, even though your mom Suck. doesn't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> fucking sad. This now has turned into the roast of Stu. <laughs> Gosh, Stu, is that a nose or is that a is that a cliff? <laughs> All right. Anyways. <laughs> Stu, is that is that your hairline or is that the Sahara Desert? Oh, that one hits a little too close to home for me. <laughs> oh, oh no, I love I love Stu. I I think Stu's a great great person, and hopefully uh, Stu uh, kind of ripping open a vein here will help the rest of us as well because he really is a goody pee pee martyr here that is sacrificing himself upon the altar of the paint gods. They we that way me we may all. Um, improve because of his sacrifice. Shout out to Saint Stew. Saint Stew. He he was taken from us far too young. <laughs> Dude, what if Stew dies in a car accident right before this episode comes live? I'll feel terrible about making fun of his nose and his his hairline, and that his mom doesn't love him. We'll just edit it out. Yeah, that. No, um, then effectively, it never happened. Yeah, and then we'll just show on the screen right now. R.I.P. Stu, like, <laughs> 1988 to 2022. <laughs> oh shit! I'm gonna go to hell if Stu dies before this episode goes live. All right, what do we got next, Scott? All right, we have an ad next. Before we get to an exciting advertisement. I wanted to say that Stu was able to- Jesus Christ, how much <laughs> shit have you got to say about fucking Stu? Can we move on, please? <laughs> Stu, uh, Stu was able to provide us with this wonderful topic because he's a member of the Patreon, and part of the <laughs> okay, Patreon- yeah, Okay, actually, I'm okay with this. <laughs> <laughs> is you get to not only submit your- um, your feedback on your paint job, which we know we're falling behind on patrons. Don't worry. We're, we're going to come up with a strategic way to get all caught up on some of those at least. Um, but we, we do offer feedback, but also you can supply topics for the show and we use those often. So if you have a, a burning desire, both in your loins and in the podcast topics, one, it's probably chlamydia and two, you can just join the Patreon. Uh, joining the Patreon does not, uh, result in uh, curing you of STDs. That was some Bo Burnham level comedy right there. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, also, I think Stu's actually supplied a topic for us to use in the past. So Thanks. you got bangers. You're yeah, going to come up multiple times and then John's just going to talk about you endlessly in the podcast and either praise or just shit on you ruthlessly. Yeah, Stu, or don't, both. don't actually die, Stu, because we need this. He doesn't want to go to hell either. <laughs> I'm already and that's going. that's the reason he's going to go to hell. Yeah. I'm already going to hell. <laughs> 
But this is going to be on like the page seven. They're like, and it looks like here you shit on a guy who got hit by a truck. <laughs> that that's the nail in the coffin. You're yeah, fucked. That's <laughs> it. Do not pass go. Do not collect two hundred dollars. Stu laughs at me as I'm going down the fucking hell chute. <laughs> yeah, I'm still talking. I'm still talking. <laughs> okay, John, do you ever feel like a dirty boy? Yes, Scott. Sometimes I feel like a dirty boy. Well, I have the product for you. The distributor of Dirty Dom Products range, Goblin's Hut, has sponsored this portion of today's episode. Dirty Down is different than Dirty Drawers, but Dirty Down hobby products are new to the scene, and they are taking this hobby world by storm, if you hadn't heard. In the line, you'll find a rust, moss, and verdigree product truly unlike any other product on the market. Very often, products across this market will just promise ease of use and amazing results, but rarely is that ever the actual case. But with Dirty Down, honestly, this stuff is magic in a bottle. I've been using the Moss product a lot on my recent basing projects, and what I love about it is how it's water-soluble, so I can get a wide variety of effects by applying a couple of thin layers. You can also reactivate it with water to manipulate it with even more effects like streaks after the fact. The thing that I really like about the Dirty Down products is that they're both great for like speed painting and batch painting your armies, but I also use them on like competition pieces. I've used the Dirty Down Rust on my Golden Demon piece. The Dark Eldar piece has Dirty Down Rust on it. On my Conrad Cruise that was supposed to be at Warhammer World for a big event, I used the moss all over the place there because I can control it because it's water soluble, so I can kind of feather it out and remove it and get it just the way I want, or I can just slap it on my stuff for an army and it's done in minutes i use the dirty down rust on my table topper for a song of ice and fire for all those little pools of water i had like an octopus in there made it all rusty an anchor made it all rusty it works great it's just like it's just so easy to use Dirty Down liquid effects and aging sprays have been used in TV and film for over 30 years to create incredible, realistic-looking results in fast, reliable ways. It can be found in many of your favorite forms of media, Star Wars, Game of Thrones, Harry Potter, James Bond, and Pirates of the Caribbean, just to name a few. Dirty Down's full range of aging sprays have finally made it across the pond as well and will be available in early November. If you're in North America and want to buy Dirty Down at a shop near you, ask your friendly local game store to go to goblinshut.com to stock it. You can also purchase it there as well. Use code TUP10 to get 10% off. A big thank you to Goblins Hut for sponsoring this portion of today's episode. You can find a link to their web store down in the show notes and in the video description below, and you can start getting dirty like we do. Now let's get on to the newsy news. I'm just a teenage dirtbag, baby. <laughs> and with that, we're on to the news. A little bit of a sad uh, news item actually up first here. Uh, Kathy Wapple um, of Wapple fame, if you're familiar with the uh, Fort Wapple at, at uh, Adepticon. As well as ReaperCon. Oh, and ReaperCon. Uh, Kathy Wapple has uh, contracted cancer. Um, I don't know if it's like an early form or if it's like whole hog right now. It doesn't really matter. And uh, Dark Sword Miniatures has made a tribute model for her, uh, which portion of the proceeds go toward uh, her recovery, um, her healing. Um, so uh, if you um, know Kathy and want to support her in that journey, in that process, consider picking up one of those models. There might be other ways to support Kathy in that process as well that I'm not familiar with, but I was I was just appreciative that we saw something like this um, 
in the community. It kind of reminds me of that airbrush that Harder and Steemek is doing to donate to Ukraine. This is more of an individual's uh, personal struggle on an entire country. But I love I love it when companies do this. Yeah, and the first of all. The model is great. It yeah. freaking looks it's, like yeah, Kathy. It does, yeah. It's so good. And I think they had Jen Haley do the, they did. the box art. Yeah, and of did. course, Jen makes it look masterful. Um, they've also had shirts for sale. I don't. I think I heard they're going to do no, another run of, of, of shirts that the proceeds will go to support Kathy, as well as you can check out um, her husband, James Wapple, on Twitch. And you can always support there, either give a donation or or um, subscribe to James on Twitch because obviously as they're both full-time artists and we live in the shithole that is um, United States of America where you just, you know, if you are self-employed, it's hard to get good health insurance. So mm-hmm. any money that they can um, that they can raise for her treatment would be greatly appreciated. Um, I heard that she is actively in going through treatment right now and she's a soldier and she's doing well. So that was my last update I heard. So Kathy, keep strong. We're here with you. Awesome. Uh, next on the old list here of news, I am stalling because I had to open the uh, <laughs> link. A Warhammer Fest to return to the UK in 2023 with a 10K capacity venue. GW heard the community's criticisms, uh, took it in stride, and made an improvement. Shout out to them. That's awesome. Yeah, so it's going to be a bunch of massive tournaments. Uh, for their games going on there, which is cool. You actually have a space to to do the big tournaments is awesome. And Golden Demon's going to be there. Mm. And I was like, oh, sweet, yeah, okay. So that's next year's Golden Demon. And then I, my brain started doing the math on the dates. This this is coming up soon. April. Like oh, We can't go to it. I mean- I'm not going to go to this. Yeah. I mean, it's like- It's right, right it's like a month all, after it at Epicon. Yeah. So if you think about it that way, like- the people, like, everyone blew their fucking Golden Demon load in the UK just this last month. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see what people can pull off in that shorter turnaround time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's either going to be... I anticipate people are going to be like, this is the best one we've ever had! Yeah, it's going to be the most hours per day spent <laughs> to paint the... <laughs> bro, can you paint a thousand hours between now and the end of April? Yeah, bro. Fucking put it in, bro. Put it in. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck that means. <laughs> I think this goes back to the tentacles earlier. Yeah. Um, uh, I am judging a painting competition on Insta? Question mark. Writes our writer James. Yes, I, I am. wrote that. I wrote that. I saw oh. a fucking ads advertisement for it on the Instagram. So yeah. I'm like, it was more of a question because you never told me about this. Yeah. So Silva is running a competition on Instagram called Simp, which is just fucking perfect. Uh, it stands for Silva's Instagram mini painting something. I can't remember what the P is. Um, but yeah, me and Squidmar and a couple other display painters are going to judge uh, that competition. There are several categories for it. I believe bust is one. I believe single figure is one. There's probably another one that I can't remember. Um, but if you want to check it out and get involved in that online competition, we'll have a link to it in the description. And yeah, that's uh, Silva's Instagram. I was not asked to judge. Get S- fucking so... It's probably not that cool of a competition. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Next one. GW announces Armies on Parade 2022, a competition for complete armies and field of battle. (laughs) Right? Goblin James wrote this and it's just kind of like the cliff notes and I was reading it like it was a real sentence. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know what the fuck this is. What is this, Scott? uh, Armies on Parade is a thing that GW has always done. Where they, it's like a little painting competition for fully painted armies with display boards and like the winners make it into White Dwarf and stuff like that. 
Um, oh, so you can enter either online or go to your local store. To yes. Okay. I remember seeing that at my locals where people bringing in their display boards with their armies to get like the entry in for uh, armies on parade. That's that's super cool. So they had the full like, boards out in like at, at the store. Um, they're not like six by four tables, but like, you know, like a display board that you would see at a Adepticon. People, yeah. You know, carry them, their armies around with them. Yeah. Stuff like that. But yeah, they'd have them out uh, for the people to take pictures of for the employees to, to send in to, to, to corporate. I would I would like to bring my cat to one of those stores and then just have him walk over the tables like he was Godzilla. And I'd be like, oh, no, Dobby is attacking. Yeah, you would be like like hung, drawn, and quartered for doing that. Yeah, you know, um, I'm in it for the joke, okay? <laughs> so, um, WizKids announces limited run of a giant space hamster paint kit, uh, and it's super adorable, and that is all we'll say about that. Giant space hamster. We need more miniature rodents in our lives, and this this really checks that box. <laughs> okay. Um, let's see here. Okay. So Games Workshop recently previewed that they're coming out with, uh, what are those guys called? Astro Militarum. Uh, uh, just dudes. Human dudes. Yeah, yeah. That's they're the, like that's redoing the line. Name. Are they? I, I mean, I don't know what they're doing. Yeah, I think it's probably going to be uh, some kind of redo. But then they, sh- they show these things called the Rough Riders. Okay. You lost me big time on this. This is probably in the lore, and that makes it 0% less stupid, but it's human dudes riding horses into battle versus thousands of orcs, space aliens, and space marines, and chaos demons, and they're a dude on the horse, and he's got a spear, but instead of it being a spear tip, it's a spear tip with a grenade attached to it, so when he spears into it, everybody dies! This, this horse is like, fuck this shit. How did I get signed up for this garbage time? <laughs> I love how that was like 45 seconds of a tirade and like the longer it went on, like the higher your voice got. <laughs> it just went higher and higher. That was so good. This is definitely a John thing. Like you hate it when sci-fi does this. Yeah, it's like, oh, come on. Like this is a thing that I think I see black and white <laughs> like pictures of from World War One trench warfare. There's a guy without a fucking horse going down with a spear. And the other guys, too, on the other side are like, the fuck is this guy on a horse for? And they shoot him <laughs> with a goddamn AK. They don't got goddamn plasma rifles. They don't need them. It's a man on a horse without a gun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, obviously there's some element of truth to this. But it's fucking cool, man. Their name is Rough Riders. I yeah, I know. Is this goddamn Teddy they're, Roosevelt? They're riding rough. They're fucking suicide poppers, apparently. Yeah, so uh, you skipped over a talking point. That I'm gonna bop back to real quick. Yeah, uh, War Cry, uh, Corvus Belly's either skirmish game or dungeon crawling board game. War I Crow. don't know what it is. War Crow. War Crow. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh yeah, not War Cry. War Crow um, is now out on Kickstarter. If you were interested in that. It's available now. I know some people were... We talked about that in the past in terms of like games we played and things like that. And that was another skirmish game that you could look into. And they have great models too. So check them out. Link down below. I'm going to check it out. I didn't realize that that uh, Kickstarter was um, was live right now. But I remember seeing the models that they showed at uh, Gen Con. Um, the models look badass. Uh, Dan, Danimal the Animal, uh, showed me some. And I was like, wow. Um so yeah, cool. The good thing that there's a podcast that gives news on things like this, so then I can go look at them on the Kickstarter page. Nice. Oh right, me. Um, 
Dear God, there's so much news here and none of it. The Kings of War starter set is pretty cool. Okay. It's called San, San, Sans, Sands of Abun. It's uh, Egyptian-style skeletons versus ogres, which I'm being a little bit honest, kind of reminds me of, uh, is it Feast of Crows? or There was a starter set that had ogres and Osiarch Bone Reapers in it. Yes. Kind of like the Eastern Asian. I think it's Feast of Bones. Feast of Bones. Okay, not Feast of Crows. Feast of Crows is definitely something else I can't remember. Um, but this is in the um, Kings of War world. It's priced at 120 bucks. comes with two factions, the rules, all that stuff. It's a really good price. And our writer says, these skeletons are so far up my alley that I'm already looking for a local Kings of War group in Vancouver to pawn off the ogres to. Nice. Wow. Also, I didn't realize how many games uh, the company that makes Kings of War, Man- Mantic? Mantic makes. I went to the site to like check out the starter set, and then I went to like the games category, and there was like fucking 12 different products like of, of like ranges. Yeah, yeah, eye crossing. Um, but yeah, it was kind of weird. Interesting. It wasn't weird. It was like it was it was shocking and cool. It was eye opening, as they say. Eye opening. Anything else worth talking about? No, I think we we hit all the the high notes and we dodged all the mines, all the stick grenades. Yeah, I mean, not stick grenades. Mines of Moria. It's a mine. I started watching the uh, the game of, not Game of Thrones, uh, the Middle Earth show on Amazon Prime. A mine. <laughs> uh, yeah, it rings of power. Rings rings of power. Have you seen that How yet? How much of a boner do you get from young Galadriel? Just fucking dripping murkin wet. bitches, dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I uh, thought you meant when she was in the ocean and she got out and she's all wet and she's wearing that fucking <laughs> of course that no. nighty. And- <laughs> I I mean I was kind of setting it up for that, but no, dude. What, so I only watched one episode, but dude, she fucking like all of her company was like struggling with this ogre. This is kind of spoilers, and she just walks up and just fucking annihilates this fool and like yeah. with with ease i was just like she could fucking combos him too dude, yeah 100 percent street fighter style dude yeah. she was uh, like air juggling and shit <laughs> yeah, yeah and i was just like i am so behind the idea that young galadriel is like a fucking like military like master yeah. I-, I love it she is pure 100 badass yeah and Okay, it's not an ogre. I'm not going to say what it is because I don't want to like... I, what we've done is we've like unspoilered Scott's potential spoiler. Right. So it's not an ogre, but it's a big something. Um, yeah. Okay. I've only oh, watched yeah, yeah, yeah. three episodes, I think. Um, we're not going to spoil anything. But there's a lot of hate going on around this show. I don't know why. It's and, like, whatever. And I'm, I'm three episodes in and I'm fucking in. Yeah. I like it. Nice. It does not need to be fucking Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy for me to like it. And yeah. I like it. Yeah. I, I'm definitely on board too. I think the first episode has a bit too much like elfish like faffery. There's like a lot of like really highfalutin like writing and lines. And it's kind of like ugh, a little bit annoying. But uh, that's definitely not enough to t- turn me away. What is really nice is when cause they follow different... Um, Storylines, storylines of different people, and when they go to the hobbits or they go to the dwarves or they go to the men, that's not there. So yeah. it's like it's cool because it feel like you feel the culture cool. in the writing. Nice, and it's it's I fucking love it. It's it's great. It's fun. It don't, don't fucking destroy things just because it's not it's not the greatest version of the thing. <laughs> Are you I, Aussie? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I was a little bit like Ringo Starr oh, right yeah, there for a, a moment. Ringo. Yeah, yeah. That. That's the news. <laughs> That's the news. 
Welcome to the end of the podcast. Thank you for making it all the way to the end. We appreciate your ears. Your ears are a valuable asset to us. So I want to just take a moment just to massage those ears auditorially. Uh, yeah, when you're if if you use Q-tips, be careful. <laughs> Don't stick them too far up there. We've got some ear advice too. Yeah, like or like use a warm wet washcloth and just kind of gently massage your ears to oh, get that yeah. wax out. Don't yeah. be sticking things in your ears behind the behind the ears too the lobes give them a little rub for us yeah because sometimes those are the things that get dirty back there yeah and while you're doing it just kind of whisper tup over and over again and then if you click your helis together four times john and i will show up in your shower yeah and we with a tendy yeah and a half a can of mountain dew sorry i got thirsty on the on the teleport on, <laughs> on, the, yeah, on the interdimensional like travel yeah. Yeah, we're like in a fucking phone booth bill and ted style yeah <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, if you want to support the podcast, which I know you do because you love us and you want us to have your buco bucks, uh, there are many ways to do that, both free and not free. Uh, the non-free ways are buying our uh, merch off our Teespring, supporting us on Patreon, which you get access to an extended episode where we talk about things like models from other painters we appreciate, uh, things we learned in our own hobby, and also we give a, uh, a section to give feedback to one of our patrons. So as a patron, you can submit a model for our feedback, and you can also submit topics for us to talk about, like in today's episode, from the almighty magnanimous stew. Who John just fucking loves. I love Stu so much. <laughs> Unless uh, Stu likes those fucking soft Oreo cakes. Yeah, and then he's dead to him. <laughs> and I hope you do get hit by a truck, Stu. <laughs> uh, other uh, free ways to support the podcast. Obviously, watching it uh, start to finish is helpful. We love seeing those higher retention numbers, and so does YouTube. Uh, whitelisting our channel so that uh, you watch every ad every 30 minutes is helpful. Telling your nerd friends about our podcast, giving us a review wherever you listen to podcasts, all those things are very helpful, and we appreciate them all. Yeah. Oh, one thing we've never mentioned before, but I'm just thinking of it now, if the advertisers that advertise with Trapped Under Plastic, like this week we had the amazing Broken Anvil Miniatures and uh, Goblin's Hut, to where you can get your Dirty Down goodies, um, if you buy stuff from those places... You know, then they'll be oh, like, yeah. oh, yeah, hey, looks like it was worth it for us to give uh, 20 bucks to Scott and John for this advertisement. We charge more than 20 bucks, but not that much more. Um, and, and so then they'll, they'll know that they're, it's worthwhile to advertise with us because we, we want to keep the advertisements that we have, the sponsors we have as companies we stand behind. We like their products. We use their products. Yeah. So if you see them on here, you know we use them. We like them. We love that Dirty Down. We so, do. So... uh yeah, you could support them, and that supports us, too. Exactly. All right. I think that's it. Want to close this out? Yeah. You know, today was a great day. We talked about so many wonderful things together. We talked about Oreo Cakesters. Mm. We talked about Costco Pizza. Argus's Nuts. We talked about, or the lack thereof, <laughs> Argus's Nuts. We talked about Stu and all his physical imperfections. <laughs> we talked about the news. Um, we talked about another golden demon. We talked about how we are all getting better every day as painters. And there's an end to this sentence, and I'm not ready for it yet. <laughs> He's got, you gotta keep going. So I'm just gonna keep going. We talked about MLS. Yeah, we talked about so many things, and this has been the greatest episode since the last one. <laughs> <laughs> and until the next one, we will catch you on the Lippity Flop.